This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Here to start hour number two, one of the best in the business when it comes to talking business of sports, visiting expert on sports business at Harvard Law School. His book, Sports Business Handbook, uh, has uh, some of the top individuals uh, in the entire world of sports when it comes to business over the last 50 years. Uh, I got him on a bunch of times when I would fill in for Pharrell here on CBS Sports Radio. Now he's been good enough to come on my show a couple of times. Rick Harrow joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. How you doing, Riggy? But, man, I want to tell you something. Uh, I'm here in South Florida and rode out the tropical storm by playing golf yesterday. Man, if you're downwind, you can be loud and <laughs> up the air and you feel like Brooks Kepka. That's all I got to say. Then you got to turn around and head into the wind. That's if, a, if a lightning bolt doesn't hit you, yeah, you can be proud of your first 355-yard drive. Uh, I can see God, that with God, the wind. God wouldn't waste a bolt on me. Uh, that's okay. That's uh, you keep up that attitude. I hope it's working for you and continues to work. Uh, speaking of work, you and I got some work to do to talk about the business sports. Understood the coronavirus has, has had a massive effect on this entire country and certainly sports and the business of sports. And I got several things I want to hit on with you. But uh, the biggest story broke uh, last night, yesterday, sometime late yesterday afternoon, that could really turn the college football. Uh, season and future on its ear, and then it has the trickle-down effect to all the other sports in business. A group of Pac-12 players have gotten together, and they're calling themselves We Are United. Um, It's being spearheaded by a former UCLA linebacker um, who is the National Collegiate Players Association president. I didn't even know we had a National Collegiate Players Association, Um, but I guess that's the case. Uh, that they're threatening to opt out of the year if their questions slash demands aren't answered. And I know you already seen uh, the statement that they made on uh, the Players' Tribune today. Has this got any chance of becoming bigger and spreading and something that does affect the entire uh, game of college football? Or is this a West Coast Pac-12 thing that... Uh, will generate a couple of meetings and then college football will go on as we know it? It's a very complex question with a lot of different answers. So first of all, uh, this this is one of those deals where you didn't know as an association because a number of years ago, Northwestern player and a group of his friends tried to officially unionize and that was rejected. So, you know, anybody can get together and call themselves a players association. I don't demean the cause. I'm just suggesting forming it himself doesn't solve the problem. The demands themselves, the one demand is being treated fairly or reasonably um, during the COVID crisis and being protected. Everybody wants that. Players, owners, NBA, college, all sports. Then, however, quickly, you talk about the financial demands these guys try to do. 
50% of the dollars, a revenue split, insurance deals, hiring marketing agents, uh, reducing payment to coaches and giving it to players, six-year guaranteed scholarships. Now, listen, there's a name, image, and likeness process that's being dealt with right now. Just because you create a set of demands, I know it puts flat pressure on Commissioner Larry Scott, and I know you got some issues, but it, this couldn't have come at a, at a worse time in the sense that no basketball revenue, football in question. I don't think the demands themselves are going to cause people to start giving the athletes money when they wouldn't have otherwise. A step in the right direction, some would say, but it's a small step. How? Uh, I, this might be an unfair question because I don't know that anybody knows the answer to it, so why should Riccaro? Uh, how many players are we talking about? They, they've been very smart in the way they've rolled out this situation, leaked it to the media first, then went to the Players' Tribune. They haven't even had a sit-down meeting or a telephone meeting with the uh, different universities in the Pac-12 and or their commissioner. Uh, do you think that other than a smart battle plan, they've actually got numbers to make this thing, make people pay attention to it? Well, it's the famous others. You know, others Others is great. <laughs> but Javon Holland, as you know, a safety at Oregon, and, and uh, Joe Tryon, a linebacker with, with Washington, are, are two of the uh, probably first round, second round uh, draft picks out of the Pac-10, uh, Pac-12 next year. So they've got, you know, high-level names. But just because a couple of people have signed their name to a petition doesn't mean they're, A, going to sit it out, even though they think they threaten to, and, how deep it is so uh, let's remember something else which is really important uh, uh that remember the ed o'bannon case which finally was litigated it took somebody who decided to start all of this while he was playing but the case wasn't decided until nine years after years his college eligibility was was right. over so uh, the, one of the problems with unionizing college players is that if you really are good and you have a lot of leverage you're going on to the pros, you're making money, and you don't look back. That's why this name, image, name, image, and likeness process is a, a major step. And while this piles onto it, I don't think it's going to be major on major. The, uh, and we're talking to Rick Caro, uh, one of our favorite business, sports business insiders here on CBS Sports Radio. Um, I think one of the tactical errors they made was trying to bite up a little bit more that they can chew. Not only do they want proper treatment and protection and uh, the procedures put in place to protect the players from COVID-19, um, but they also want to immediately have a social impact platform and money donated by the college to help certain uh, needy areas out. Uh, while all applaudable and now add into, yes, they'd like to have some money upwards of 50% of the revenue that's made that, oh, by the way, doesn't just go into the university's coffers. They turn around and spend it on other sports. H have they, if they, uh, my guess is they figure if we're going to get their attention, we might as well go for it all at once. Are they making a tactical error by asking for too much in one fell swoop? The kitchen sink, the kitchen, the bedroom, the porch, <laughs> the basketball court outside, you know, the tennis court, the jet ski. Hey, talk about piling on. So all of these issues, COVID, we said before, really important. The whole social justice equality issue took the NFL a few years to come up with a platform to generate some money there. That's there. But then these other, let's call them financial add-ons or embellishments or sweeteners, like a lot of money, like the six-year scholarships, 
that's all. Yeah. So let's look at a set of demands. But again, this is a bunch of players who have some leverage because they're good on their own teams, but you don't know what the intensity is and you don't know the longevity of that intensity. And like I said, coming off of a almost zero payday basketball year combined with an unquestioned, a questioned, you know, I, I wish I knew about the COVID spikes. If I did, uh, Dr. Fauci and I would go into a medical practice, uh, you know, ourselves, but, right. but nobody knows really what's going to happen. Everybody has plans, but it, 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 this is either the wrong time or exactly the right time, because as long as there's going to be chaos, you might as well add to the chaos. They're certainly doing that. So along those lines, will this be a Pac-12 motion by themselves or will star players and other guys who see what they're doing out there in the Pac-12 who might be able to organize SEC athletes and ACC athletes. Is this something that will spin off and grow? Or do you think everybody just sits back and sees how it plays out in the Pac-12 before anyone else gets involved? My friend, Jody Mack, under normal circumstances, it's a very difficult thing for agents or others who are not officially uh, retained by these athletes uh, to go ahead and organize cross-conference when all these guys want to make sure they are drafted and have pro careers. But with the coronavirus pandemic, it's even more significant because uh, who knows if you're really going to play this year? Who knows what the platform is? Look what happened with the NCAA. A lot of school athletes are deciding whether or not to take that extra year of eligibility that was given them the opportunity to do it because they didn't get to finish their basketball seasons. So with all of the uncertainty, just playing the sport and your role in it, this is going to be a very difficult thing to organize across conferences. Add this to the pandemic that is COVID-19. What's the chance that we're going to get a college football season in? Uh, It won't be a perfect one. I think there will be issues and cancellations and shortened seasons and the like, but can we get to a conclusion? Can they have a college football playoff this year, or is this completely swimming upstream for you? Well, it's, it's swimming upstream, but, you know, the salmon are big, so they'll eat the little minnows and they'll continue to swim upstream. And, and frankly, it doesn't mean that you have to throw in the towel, yet it's a good conversation. We ought to spend some time down the road talking about each and every sport and how they're coming back or not coming back. So, listen, you know, hockey and basketball in the bubbles, baseball every day. You read a, in the box score, the box scores are not RBIs and strikeouts anymore, but how many positive tests. The same with the NFL. How can you possibly have games with such close contact? And then college has the added problem or issue of, you know, you got to be on campus, especially with the Ivy League, for example. No, nobody on campus, so you're not going to have the football games, except they're the cash cows that generate the dollars for everybody. So it's a very difficult situation. My thought is you're going to play as many games as you can, kick the can down the road for as long as you can, maybe the end of August, and then decide – whether you'll play a conference schedule of eight or nine games, with it always in the back of your mind, by the way, it is not impossible to have everybody play in the spring if the spikes continue, even though nobody's going to commit to that now and nobody's talking about it. All right, last question on college football, and I do want to hit a couple other things like television ratings for the returning sports with you. Um, had a great caller in my first hour who said, Jody, don't forget this, that when you're talking about uh, funds and players being paid and monies and the like, 
that the government has something to say about this, that they're the ones who pushed through Title IX and got balanced scholarships between male sports and female sports. And if they're going to start to try and siphon off funds to pay players on the revenue-generating sports, what the hell's going to happen to all those other sports that the individual universities and or conferences can just hide behind, hey, listen, we'd love to help you, but the government won't allow us to do it. We couldn't keep our doors open if we uh, were to give in to your demands. Is this something that's going to get dragged into this conversation, government intervention? Hey, federal regulation always happens as a last resort. Boxing regulations, drugs, uh, television conferences. You remember, it took the federal legislation and then the Supreme Court to decide the new TV deals years ago because they said conferences could do it. Uh, But if you uh, left the federal government to its own devices right now, it'd be very difficult. Uh, You know, it's it's uh, I don't want to get political, but we're having a hard time solving basic issues beyond just sports. You and I both know that the issue really is the athletic directors and the college presidents who will guard against that themselves because a, there's no budget, basketball and football. B, you got to do uh, women's sports title line. It's federally mandated, as you said. And then also, what about the college sports, uh, the tennis, the golf, uh, the, uh, the, the rowing, all of the other sports that are scholarship sports in many cases, but yet where do you get those dollars because they don't have television and they're not really revenue producers? Where's the money come from? Well, football and basketball, to be sure. Right. That's why it's a bigger issue than just what we've been talking about here. We uh, Rick and I could hack this up for another hour. But I do want to get a couple other quick points in on the return of sports in the other venues. Uh, baseball, I know NBA just started a couple of days ago. Hockey, we got a full week of baseball. Television revenues figured to be up because of the starvation of sports fans, that they just haven't had anything to watch, that they were going to tune in even if it wasn't their team, that national ratings could be okay. Was that the case week one for Major League Baseball? Starvation and unexpected quality and the fans not being that relevant. I just watched a barn burner where the Cubs beat the Pirates the uh, cool special start runners on second in extra innings. And everybody seems to love that stuff. And the 60-game schedule, players and owners are are now at each other's throats, but they're going to play them. And if the Marlins and Cardinals COVID test issues can be resolved, I think we're going to have a number of positives uh, every week or so. But it'll be manageable. And the ratings have been off the charts. And the only harm... Or there's poor cardboard cutouts. For example, one last week got hit in the head and decapitated, which, you know, I'm going to represent that club, that, that yes. cardboard cutout, by the way. But uh, and, and you and I can split the revenue. But, you know, beyond all that, uh, I think uh, baseball's uh, ratings have been tremendous. Every game is important. Every game is worth almost three games. And when you think about it, this is, uh, you know, an, a walking, talking billboard for reducing the number of games in a regular season, though nobody will ever do that because that cuts revenue. All right. Uh, next week is the PGA. I know you're a golf guy. You said uh, your your drives in the wind are much improved. Well, they're playing out on the West Coast next week in the PGA, first major of the year. Used to be the PGA was the last. Now the last is first. Um, are they going to let spectators in? I know they've uh, attempted to minimal amounts on a couple of the PGA Tour events. They got back at it before anybody else. Uh, what is the major going to look like next week out on the West Coast in the PGA? 
yeah, no crowds, and the other majors are still kind of playing it close to the vest. Uh, the folks who run the Masters, by the way, which uh, is in November, and I'm predicting because of the Farmer's Almanac that I read uh, every day, is a major winter snowstorm in November 15. Don't say that, Harrow. How about that? But, hey, listen, uh, they may or may not have fans there. The point is that right now no fans at tournaments, but yet they have about 500 personnel who are their support, caddies, players, everybody, sponsors. And they're going to add another maybe six or 700 over uh, staggered in uh, significant others, uh, sponsor folks, some activation, and you'll see more and more people at the majors. But one of the things that I noticed, I don't know if you did too, is that crowds are becoming less and less relevant in every sport. And certainly golf had a head start. We've now had seven and a half weeks, and you don't really notice the lack of crowds. Uh, and I think that means great for television. Ratings still continue to be good. They've got a head start because they're out there before anybody else, but the ratings are still good. Now we head into the majors. And we'll see higher ratings galore. And frankly, television is saving professional sports because without television, you'd have no revenue anywhere. And why would you open the doors? That's very true. All right. That aside, while we both agree with that and acknowledge that, um, we know that the coronavirus has just disrupted, if not uh, ruined, uh, certain individuals' lives and livelihoods and the like in sports is part of that Uh, everyone's got a different outlook on life on everything in life Um, some people are uber positive some people are uber negative Uh, we have people in the media that uh, try and balance that off and play both sides against each other for its own entertainment either something you noticed or something you heard someone say that caught you as damn you know that's actually true and it was positive, a positive spin, other than television and saving sports, about the coronavirus and how it's affected our world. Who, what, what did you hear? What did you think? What was it that made you stop and say, well, you got a point there. That's not that bad. I got two positive things about the uh, pandemic's effect on the sports business. Cool. One is that it's gotten a lot of television executives and network folks and leagues and teams to be very, very creative about their content. There's going to be a lot more interactive content, a lot more relationships between season ticket holders and television itself. For example, uh, the Cubs and two other teams, when a foul ball goes into a seat, you're, uh, they're, they're going to send that ball to the season ticket holder who just saw it on television, and that's going to be kind of exciting, and there are going to be a lot of other content-related issues that are positive because they got to get people to stay excited even if they can't physically go to the game. That's number one. Number two, the advertisers themselves are becoming a lot more demanding of in-game ads, social justice issues. And I think the interesting thing is the, the confluence of these significant tragedies, the pandemic, the Black Lives Matter, George Floyd issues. Uh, we now have socially responsible advertising that is uh, very important that people are listening to a lot more than they would have. So it is a tremendous pandemic that hit us. By the way, do you realize in 1917 and 18, I saw some pictures sent to me by friends, uh, they were all wearing masks. Everybody was in the baseball uh, games that we saw, including the players who were actively playing. So this is not new for our country, uh, but it is new at our level and our dimensions. And I do think that as negative as things are, we're going to emerge stronger than ever. 
if he didn't teach you a couple things and or make you stop and think about a couple things over the last 20 minutes, then you weren't paying close enough attention. That's why I love having Rick Harrow on to uh, enlighten me. Rick, a pleasure as always. Keep hitting downwind, my friend. We'll uh, touch base again soon enough. Thanks. All right, man. You and I will talk. We'll do it again. Thanks. Done deal. That is Rick Harrow, a visiting expert on sports business at Harvard Law, and his book, Sports Business Handbook, has got contribution from over 100 of the top uh, industry leaders in the world of sports and business uh, over the last 50 years. Good stuff, and every time he comes on, I learn something. So if I'm learning, hopefully he's teaching you guys too. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.